The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Actually, the issue at stake is patriotism. You must return to your world and put an end to the commies. All it takes are a few good men. What? That nonsense is centuries behind us. But you can't deny that you're still a dangerous, savage child race. Most certainly I deny it. I agree we still were when the humans wore costumes like that 400 years ago. Which time you slaughtered millions in silly arguments about how to divide the resources of your little world. Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, March 31st, 2016. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right on WBCQ 5130. Join us for an hour of discussion which isn't right wing. What is it? It's Just Right, Bob. <laughs> Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be and welcome to our show today, where, if there is a common theme, it is one of deconstructing some of the political nonsense being said aloud by very public figures, not the least of which is U.S. President Obama and leader of the opposition Progressive Conservative Party in Ontario, Patrick Brown. Both of them apparently believe that you have to do what works to accomplish one's goals, and both apparently have the same goals. How so? We'll get into that after first reminding you that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes, hear us on WBCQ 5130, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org. And I guess, Robert, you're going to be kicking off the conversation. First, um, as you said, we did have a lot of feedback. I want to get uh, one of them off of our table first. Um, This is from Alan who uh, resides in Regina, Saskatchewan. Quote, you guys have got things upside down. Now, Alan is responding, of course, to your March 3rd episode where you talked about capitalism versus slavery. Mm -hmm. He says, capital has only two forms, dead, expropriated labor, or expropriated, mostly natural resources. Capital always and everywhere resides predominantly preponderantly. Is that what he wrote? Yeah, preponderantly. Yeah, preponderantly. (laughs) I guess maybe he meant predominantly or preponderance. In the hands of the few, the rest must serve these few. This too is slavery. Ayn Rand is an idiot, unquote. Well, thank you for the response, Alan. (laughs) Well, that solves that question. (laughs) Yeah, no, it looks like the forces of disinformation and disintegration have been successful in turning Alan's mind upside down. With all due respect, Alan, he considers all labor to be expropriated, i.e. taken by force, i.e. slavery. Is there no room in Alan's world for fair dealing, for trading one's labor for payment voluntarily? I certainly have never felt that when I get up to go for work in the morning that I'm a slave to my employer. I certainly consider myself a slave when I see my paycheck, though, because (laughs) it's because I see the portion of my pay taken away in forced taxation. That part, I think, is slavery or can be considered as such, but certainly not my relationship with my employer, which is voluntary. Capital always and everywhere resides preponderantly, I think. (laughs) Preponderant, I think, is when, or predominantly, in the hands of the few. Well, not necessarily so, Alan. I work for a paycheck, but I also invest in stocks. That makes me a capitalist. A large number of people have pensions invested in the market. That makes them capitalists. Farmers are capitalists by using their land as capital. Capitalists are quite a large percentage of the population when it comes down to it. 
Now, when Bob and I use the term capitalism, we use it in either one of two senses. As in the sense Alan is using, i.e. capital, either land or money, to be invested in a venture to create wealth. But more often, we use it to mean the complete separation of government from the economy. That's what we talk about mostly on this show. Not the economic definition of capitalism, but the political definition of capitalism. Now, in in which case, every time somebody buys or sells something in a free market, they're taking part in a capitalist economy. Now, as for the Ayn Rand comment, I think it's typical of someone who's never really read Rand. Now, I don't know if you, Alan, have read Rand, but that comment certainly is of the kind that we receive when people don't even know Rand, don't even know how to pronounce her first name. That's always the type of thing we get. I haven't, yeah. haven't yet seen an exception to that rule. No. Still waiting for one. You know, Ayn Rand's work stands for itself. I suggest you read her, Alan. And if you have, um, and if you have, I, I think you do her and yourself a service with such an unwarranted ad hominem. But anyway, thank you for the feedback. It's always a lesson. Now, in keeping with the theme of capitalism, we now turn our attention to Barack Obama and his recent visit to Argentina, uh, just following his visit to, unbelievably, Cuba. Now, last week's President Obama was in Argentina, about March 23rd, and was holding a, a question period with some students when he talked, unscripted, about picking what works when given the choice between capitalism or socialism. It was an instructive lesson in exactly what kind of malevolence lies behind this man's actions, the level of his ignorance of things economic and political, and the destructive intent he has for his country and what at one time made it great. Before we uh, get into his speech, I'm going to play it first for you. And uh, when we come back, I'll have some further comment on it. Here it is. You know, so often uh, in the past, there's been a sharp division between left and right, between capitalist and communist or socialist. And especially in the Americas, that's been a big debate, right? Ah, you know, you're, you're a capitalist Yankee dog, and oh, you know, you're some, you know, crazy communist, you know, that's going to take away everybody's property. And, I mean, those are interesting intellectual arguments, but I think for your generation, you should be practical and just choose from what works. You don't have to worry about whether it neatly fits into socialist theory or capitalist theory. You should just decide what works. And I I said this to President Castro in Cuba. I said, look, you've made great progress in educating uh, uh, young people. Uh, Every child in Cuba gets a basic education. That's that's a a huge improvement from where it was. Medical care. The the life expectancy of Cubans is equivalent to the United States, despite it being a very poor country, because they have access to health care. That's a huge achievement. They should be congratulated. But... You drive around Havana, and this economy is not working. It it, it looks like it did in the 1950s. And so you have to be practical in asking yourself, how can you achieve the goals of 
equality and inclusion, but also recognize that you know, the market system produces a lot of wealth and goods and services and innovation. And it also gives individuals freedom because they have initiative. And so you don't have to be rigid in saying it's, it's either this or that. You can say, depending on the problem you're trying to solve, depending on uh, the social issues that you're trying to address, what works? And, uh, and I think that what you'll find is that the most successful societies, the most successful economies are ones that are rooted in a market-based system, but also recognize that a market does not work by itself. It has to have uh, a, a social and moral and ethical and community basis. And there has to be inclusion, otherwise it's not stable. And and, and it's up to you as you, as you in, in whether you're in business or in academia or in the nonprofit sector, whatever you're doing, to, to, to create new forms that are adapted to the new conditions uh, that we live in today. So that's uh, Barack Obama in Argentina last week. Well, whatever works. <laughs> <laughs> that's a theme, apparently, in his speech. Let's take it bit by bit. Quote, Obama here. Mm -hmm. You know, so often in the past, there's been a sharp division between left and right, between capitalist and communist or socialist, and especially in the Americas. That's been a big debate, unquote. Now, for the Americas, Mr. Obama, it's been more than a debate. It has been a bloody conflict with people dying and in national struggles for the supremacy of communism and slavery over cronyism and colonial rule. The Cuban debate... It was once called the Cuban Revolution, but apparently in Obama's hindsight, it's become a debate. <laughs> Lasted over five years and resulted in the dictator Batista being overthrown by the dictator Fidel Castro. Now, while Batista was no saint, if you fight a revolution to overthrow a cronious dictator, you do not replace him with a cronious communist dictator. It's estimated that over 100,000 people died in the Cuban debate with somewhere between thirty to 40,000 Cubans being executed by Castro after he assumed leadership of the country. And by the way, with his henchman Che Guevara by his side, mm -hmm. giving the coup de grace. And, and yet people still admire these and people. And they put his picture on, just, his, on their T-shirts. Disgusting. You know, why not just put Hitler on there while you're yeah. at it? You know, yeah, but oh no, we actually, won't do actually, that. you know, Hitler didn't actually kill anybody. No. Personally, Che Guevara did. He enjoyed it. Even children. Unbelievable. Now, in Venezuela, it looks as if the socialists won over their forces of a more freer market. The result is starvation and poverty. Mm -hmm. They won the, the debate, Mr. Obama. To quote for more from uh, the president, quote, Ah, you know, you're a capitalist Yankee dog, or, you know, you're some crazy communist that's going to take away everybody's property, unquote. You know... Mr. Obama, by dismissing opponents of capitalism or communism as nothing more than school and children hurling taunts at each other, he tries to dismiss the philosophic understanding of a society based on freedom versus one based on violence. He cheapens what has been up to last week, a struggle 
between two conflicting political ideologies, which have been the cause of millions of deaths and untold misery. Obama, ah, he's just a crazy communist, you know, a harmless buffoon. Let's not play with him and maybe he'll go away. You get the drift. Making such a flippant you think, you kind think, of statement diminishes the deaths that went into this debate. Would you would it be entertaining to you at all to to assume that maybe he was trying to do a soft sell to a crowd that he already knew was heavily socialist leaning or communist leaning? I don't think so. No. No, not following on the heels of a Cuban visit where he praises um the, the effects of the communist dictatorship there. And we'll get into that because he talks about it in his speech. Well, yeah, he? he talked about how great their, social, their, yeah. their medical system was, and <laughs> but how crappy their downtown Havana was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about that bit okay. by bit. But no, I don't think he's trying to soft sell anything. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's trying to sell anything. He's among a friendly crowd of socialists already. So he's selling pragmatism from his point of view, like whatever works. Yeah, whatever works, I guess, right. for him. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter whether it's right or wrong. To quote Obama, and I mean, those are interesting intellectual arguments, but I think for your generation, you should be practical and just choose from what works. You don't have to worry about whether it neatly fits into socialist theory or capitalist theory. You should just decide what works, unquote. So, communism and capitalism are simply interesting arguments to the President of the United States. I wonder if a Harry Truman would have said the same, or a John F. Kennedy, or a Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Do you think Roosevelt was working on overthrowing Hitler, that he considered Hitler's socialism to be simply an interesting argument? Was World War II in Europe nothing more than a captivating altercation? Obama says, for your generation, you should be practical and choose from what works. He's implying that the principles underlying communism and capitalism change from generation to generation. To Obama, it seems that the socialism of Hitler or Mussolini is different than the socialism being practiced in Argentina or Venezuela or Cuba. Times change. These aren't your parents' ideologies anymore. They're yours. Get with the times, man. Don't worry about whether your choice of capitalism or socialism fits into socialist theory or capitalist theory. They're only theories. What works is what's important. If universal health care is your goal, (laughs) then choose communism. Why not? It works, doesn't it? Well, no, Mr. Obama. Communism doesn't work. It doesn't work, but that doesn't seem to matter. As long as everyone gets into a hospital to see a doctor, then it works, right? Right. It depends on the goal he sets. If right. I, you know, if if I want to kill people, this system works. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter that drugs are rationed, that there aren't enough beds, because everyone with a bellyache goes to the hospital for his free health care. As long as it looks like everyone is getting free health care, then it works. By the way, when you go into a hospital in Cuba or some of these other socialist countries, these parasite countries. What kind of medicines are do you think you're giving them? You're giving them the drugs that were developed by American pharmaceutical companies. You're giving them the healthcare techniques that were developed by doctors in the United States. You're giving them the, uh, the information that was done with American research. That's what you're giving them. Do you really think that the Cuban healthcare system would even exist if it wasn't for the research and the money and the uh, expense that that has gone into developing it in the Western world, in the free capitalistic world. It wouldn't. The capital of knowledge, of of medicine, of, of, of technology. My goodness. 
you know, socialism works apparently for the socialist leaders of Venezuela because apparently universal starvation and universal poverty was their goal. So it works because mm-hmm. that's what's what, just what's happening in Venezuela. They're starving to death and they're poor. But they got their social order and the politicians are happy, so ah, it must work for them. It works, yeah. To quote Obama again. And I said this to President Castro in Cuba. I said, look, you've made great progress in educating your people. Every child in Cuba gets a basic education. That's a huge improvement from where it was. Medical care, the life expectancy of Cubans is equivalent to that of the United States, despite it being a very poor country because they have access to health care. That's a huge achievement. They should be congratulated. Unquote. Yes, let's congratulate the communist dictator of Cuba for making sure people live long lives of hunger and destitution. Let's simply forget the hundreds of thousands he imprisoned for holding different views than him. And let's forget the tens of thousands who died in front of his firing squads. Castro is doing a bang-up job in health care and education. That's what really matters. Obama. But you drive around Havana, and this economy is not working. It looks like it did in the 1950s, and you so you have to be practical in asking yourself, how can you achieve the goals of equality and inclusion, but also recognize that the market system produces a lot of wealth and goods and services and innovation, and that also gives individual freedom because they have initiative, unquote. When Obama mentions the goal, or the goals of equality and inclusion, it is in direct conflict with reality. The only equality a citizen expects of its government is to be treated equally before and under the law, without favoritism. Does this describe the kind of inclusion one can expect in a communist dictatorship like Cuba? Do those Cubans who believe in individual rights, freedom, and capitalism get equal treatment before and under the law in Cuba? Are there any such people? Do they even know those concepts? Well, that's the thing. The question's invalid because such people were killed off in the yeah. revolution <laughs> or left on makeshift rafts for Miami or drowned trying to find freedom. Yeah, I'm even wondering if there are any left in Canada or the United States. It does make you wonder, but I think... Uh, I think there's a few of us out here. Obama. And so you don't have to be rigid in saying it's either this or that. You can say, depending on the problem you're trying to solve, depending on the issues, social issues you're trying to address, what works? Unquote. What works is the mantra of the pragmatism. It is the litmus test of the intellectual dullard who refuses to consider that the ends, what works, never justify the means. In this case, to Obama, the means are irrelevant. Forcing Americans to buy into health care plans, whether or not they want to or whether or not they can afford to, is irrelevant to the end that everyone has health coverage. The ends justifies the means. What works? Obama. And I think that what you'll find is that the most successful societies, the most successful economies, are ones that are rooted in a market-based system, but are also but also recognize that America does not work by itself. It has to have a social and moral and ethical and community basis. You know something? Here Obama is correct, but not in the way he'd like to think. It is as plain as the nose on your face that a free market system works over a regulated or controlled or centrally managed market or economy if wealth is your goal and freedom is your goal. That's a fact. What he neglects to point out is that just as it works for things like cars, television, cell phones, chocolate Easter bunnies, and computer software programs, it also works for doctors and teachers and medicine and medical research and schools and patient care and education and almost all services. Why single out those particular two, education and health care, for the communist system and only have capitalism for cars? 
Hmm. The only service, That's a good question. <laughs> yeah. The only su- service where the free market has no place, and this is an exception that is legitimate and can be justified, is the administration of justice, which is the only place a government should have jurisdiction. And it is a proper place for government. Obama is also correct when he says that America does not work by itself, but again, not in the way he thinks. He's famous for his statement that, if you've got a business, you didn't build that, somebody else made that happen. Meaning that the government is so intrusive in business that nobody can claim to have built or made anything without the direct involvement of the state, whether it be the roads the trucks travel on to get your goods to market or the government loans you took to start your business, etc., etc. This is an inversion of the role of government in the affairs of the people. The fact that anyone can build anything with the intrusive and destructive nature of government involvement in the economy is a bloody miracle. If you have a business, it is often in spite of the government, not because of it. This is not to diminish the one legitimate role, as I say, that government should play in the economy, and that is as a referee, not a player. It shouldn't be building the roads and offering loans to bail out people or subsidizing businesses. It should be protecting against force and fraud and theft. The moral basis for a successful market, any market, is the peaceful pursuit of one's own happiness. The moral basis for the economy is to protect the rights of the individual, to protect the life of the individual, and to protect the property of the individual. That's the moral basis for government involvement in, 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 the, in the affairs of people. It's as a referee. Obama's morality is an inversion of this. His morality is that your life is not your own. You're the means to somebody else's ends. Your, your property is not your own. It's to be taxed and confiscated for the betterment of the community. Who defines who's the community? Well, Obama does, of course. Your pursuit of your own happiness is irrelevant. Today's generations generation don't think in the same terms as Thomas Jefferson did when he penned that phrase over 200 years ago, pursuit of your own happiness. These times call for different terms, the pursuit of equality and inclusion, or the happiness of the greatest number, or you didn't build that. (laughs) Here's Obama again. And there has to be inclusion, otherwise it's not stable, unquote. You know, a free market is open to everyone. Absolutely nobody is excluded. All it takes is the willingness on the part of the individual to participate. The trouble is that there are those who want the benefits of a free market without doing what is necessary to take part, so they feel excluded. That's why socialists have social programs and minimum wage laws and Obamacare, etc., so they can be included without having to try. Obama's speech in Argentina is historic, Bob. It's the end of the American dream. It's the nail in the coffin. Obama talks about deciding between choosing capitalism or communism as if they were different colored shoes you were deciding to wear with a particular colored suit. Do these black shoes work with this suit, or should I choose the brown? What works? (laughs) His speech is a sad commentary on just how far the United States has fallen. The position of the President of the United States was once labeled the leader of the free world. Now, with Obama, that's changed. He's the leader of whatever works for your world. He could be the leader of the free world, or he could be the leader of the communist unfree world. Whatever works. You decide. Don't feel constrained by the standards of your parents or the past. Do whatever you feel works for any given situation. 
If the situation requires freedom, then choose freedom. If the situation requires the bloody fist of the state, then choose the bloody fist of the state. For education and health care, Obama chooses, chose socialism and forced, and forced, and the bloody fist of the state. For purchasing a modern car, instead of fixing up that old clunker from the 50s, then Obama prefers capitalism, or at least a regulated murder. Mm-hmm. Freedom and communism are simply solutions to particular problems for Obama. In fact, he has admitted as much that he is a communist, as much as he is a capitalist. His talk to students was an affront to the 58,000 who died in the Vietnam War fighting communism, the 36,000 Americans who fought and died in Korea turning back, guess what, Mr. Obama? Communism. The vast sums of American wealth used to keep communism at bay during the Cold War and the hundreds of thousands of American lives lost fighting against socialism in Europe during World War II. It's the ultimate betrayal of the American creed and founding principles which extol individualism against the collectivism. Political freedom and its consequent capitalism instead of political slavery and its consequent socialism and communism. Obama's speech in Argentina is a teaching moment, as our friend Salim Mansour would say. There is something to be learned from listening to it. Obama, a black man, is saying that sometimes slavery, economic slavery, can be a good thing. He is saying that being a slave to the state can sometimes work. What we learn is that Obama is a disgrace to the American legacy of freedom and individualism. Okay, listen, there's something I need to tell you. I've been thinking about going back to school for a while now. So a couple months ago, I started taking a history class at the community college. Oh, that's great. Great, great, great. Why wait so long to tell me? I I don't want you to make a big deal out of it. Why do you think I'd be like that? I get it. You're taking one class. It's nice. Maybe if it goes well, you take another, you enroll full time. Ooh, be sure to keep an eye on which credits transfer to a four-year college. You're making a big deal. (laughs) Sorry, whatever. It's all good. Anyway, that's it. I just thought you should know. Am I allowed to ask how the class is going? It's really good. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about the origins of slavery. Turning my first paper tomorrow. Great topic. I can help with that. You know, there's lots of different perspectives you could take. Economic, sociological, political. Hey, this is my paper. And my perspective is that slavery is bad. (laughs) Oh, and my professor's black, so I'm pretty sure that's the right answer. The speech last night, you mentioned taxes eight times. You said that taxes were too high, but you didn't talk about cutting taxes. In fact, the only policy that I saw that you really, you didn't flesh out any, but that you gave the most thought to was putting a price on carbon. Why? Well, l- let me say uh, this is the issue of the day. This is what we have first minister's meeting on it. There's legislation coming at, uh, at Queen's Park. Um, we had an extensive caucus uh, a meeting about this and we believe we need a conservative uh, approach to the environment where the liberals want to create a liberal slush fund and my response is that the cap-and-trade policy should be tax relief it should be a dividend to uh, to taxpayers in the form of broad-based tax relief and let me say it is it is it is not a tax if the government doesn't use it it is not a tax if the government returns it to taxpayers have you seen a, 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 car- a revenue neutral carbon tax ever because I haven't seen them. 
British well, Columbia didn't work. Uh, you know, they tend to be very, very good for governments, and they end up being cash grabs. Well, you know, we hope to be the fo the, f the first progressive conservative government, the first conservative government that will actually create a revenue-neutral um, cap-and-trade. But, but why... Why putting a price on carbon? I, I was looking at the actual carbon emissions. I mean, I could look at reports like from uh, John Fife at the University of Victoria who agrees with the UN in saying, you know what, global warming slowed down, we're in a hiatus. But if you just look at emissions, Ontario was actually well below 1990 levels. Uh, getting rid of the coal plants, losing a lot of manufacturing jobs, Ontario's more than met what the Kyoto commitment was. Well, and, so and, and, wh and, why is this well, still a big issue? Well, unfortunately, Ontario is, is meeting those targets not for good reasons. It's because we've lost 350,000 manufacturing jobs. And I would note that the phase-out of coal was started by a progressive conservative premier, Ernie Eves. Um, you know, I, I believe climate change is a threat and it's something that our generation needs, needs to confront. I don't want us to be conservatives shying away to talk about the environment. I don't believe there's a contradiction in believing in conservatism uh, and conservation. Okay, but I, I'm just trying to figure out why a carbon tax or like what, what would you be looking at if you were well, actually, it? If you look at um, Ronald Reagan, Ronald Reagan when he had the acid rain treaty, mm -hmm. uh, the conservative approach was that polluters pay and that it's returned in tax relief. Uh, that's my approach. Polluters will pay, but it's returned in tax relief. Uh, our approach to uh, cap and trade, which is coming to Ontario, like it or not, you know, I believe the Liberals are, are taking the wrong approach and simply it's a cash grab, it's, it's a slush fund. But our approach to this is rather than it being a cash grab for government in, in creating larger, bigger government, it should be returned to Ontarians in terms of a dividend, a, a, a dividend to taxpayers, relief, broad-based tax relief for individuals and businesses. You're listening to Just Right on WBCQ 5130, where we're talking about Patrick Brown. He is the leader of the opposition in the province of Ontario, the Progressive Conservative Party, and that was an interview we just heard uh, between Patrick Brown and Brian Lilly of The Rebel that was recorded on March the 7th. Brian Lilly kind of had to restrain himself almost in that conversation. I don't know how he sat through it. It was just amazing what I heard there. I'm just, I, I was just, my jaw dropped. And I don't know how anyone could listen to that conversation of Patrick Brown and just not laugh out loud when he said, and I quote, It is not a tax if the government doesn't use it. It is not a tax if the government returns it to taxpayers. It, it's so patently untrue. You know, how it isn't considered patently fraudulent and hasn't been challenged is another testament how, how much Pure BS politicians are able to get away with these days. They can say almost anything. If I were sitting in Brian Lilly's chair after hearing that one, I don't know if I could have kept myself from laughing out loud or getting up and just leaving. When the government takes money from you to give it to someone else, it is a tax. Even if the government takes the money from you and gives it back to you personally, it would still be a tax. <laughs> Every penny that anyone gets from government came from a tax which was forcibly extracted from a taxpayer. So what we have to deal with, this whole thing is being justified under fighting climate change. And quite frankly, the only thing that climate change is about is taxes. And that is the taxing reality of carbonated politics, as I like to call it. It's like, you know, have a carbonated drink. This is all crap. It's not good for you. Here we have, on the one hand, 
Brown saying, um, climate change is a fact. It is a threat. It is man-made. We have to do something about it, and that something includes putting a price on carbon. Well, Patrick Brown's opposition, Kathleen Wynne, could have said the same thing. Andrea Horwath could have said the same thing. Paul McKeever couldn't say the same thing, leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario. He came out and said, climate change is a fact. It is natural, and like humans always have, we must simply adapt. Start by voting out carbon taxers. And, of course, McKeever was right. Brown was wrong, or as we like to say when being politically correct, on the left. <laughs> With Wynne's liberals and Horwath's NDP. The problem is he keeps calling himself a conservative. And perfectly in keeping with past PC leader Ernie Eves, um, the same guy Brown reminded us who began the phasing out of coal plants, which was a disaster too. They should have just moved to clean coal. But, uh, you know, he expressed his leftist philosophy that the purpose of government is to redistribute wealth, as Ernie Eves said. And the PC's current support of carbon pricing and taxation is, of course, really not about climate change at all, but about deceptively using taxes to redistribute wealth. It was no different under just past PC leader Tim Hudak, with his support of, quote, fighting climate change through cap and trade. Though Brown denies that his revenue-neutral carbon pricing scam is redistributive, this can't be so. That's just not possible. Or otherwise, you wouldn't have such a scheme. Why would you bother? But it's clear from several of his public interviews now on record that Patrick Brown supports carbon pricing as a means of transferring wealth from consumers and taxpayers to, quote, industry and business, or other favored groups in the hopes of stimulating the economy, by, quote, protecting favored groups from the uncompetitive tax rates and the high cost of power in Ontario, and shifting the burden of their costs to all Ontario individuals, Brown thus claims that taxation through carbon pricing is revenue neutral. The very term carbon pricing is fraudulent, as is the term revenue neutral. By the way, when he says revenue neutral, it's only revenue neutral to the government itself, not even, even in the ideal. It's not revenue neutral to you and I as taxpayers. Right? No, as a, as a taxpayer, he will tax me and give it to somebody else. That's right. Probably a business which is that's, trying to reduce its carbon emissions. That's, ex that's exactly what he's planning to do. Right. That is his plan. It's a subsidized business. True conservative uh, policy. Exactly. And the very term carbon pricing is fraudulent because it's not carbon that's being either priced or taxed. It's carbon dioxide, which is the story. But carbon dioxide has no marketable value. You want to buy some? <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, I've got plenty of my own. Yeah, other, other than it's being priced. What's being called a price is really a tax, plain and simple. So even there, that's a lie. And, you know, while it's possible for a tax to be quote-unquote revenue neutral to the government itself, it's never so for taxpayers, as we said. The PCs will simply rob Peter, one particular group of taxpayers, to pay Paul, another particular group of interests, and in so doing, falsely and immorally claim that such a tax is revenue neutral by using this term to imply that taxpayers themselves will not be paying higher taxes. So under the logic of this highly collectivist revenue neutral theory of taxation, Get this, all taxes collected by governments and returned to the people, quote-unquote, in the form of services, subsidies, welfare payments, or whatever, wouldn't they all be neutral? I mean, to the government's own revenue, if it's taking the money from you and spending it on health care, then 
that can't be taxation. No, that's pretty so neutral. Other, yeah. Right. So there's no taxation out there, according to Brown. No. The only taxation is that four or five percent we actually pay for government. Yeah, if you ever have a balanced budget, that's well, there's no taxation. Right. Yeah, we gave it back. I'm telling you. One thing's certain, whether disguised as a carbon tax or as cap and trade, the PC plan is not a morally neutral wealth transfer scheme, uh. that's for sure. It is grossly anti-freedom, anti-capitalistic, and depends on, upon a demonstrably false collectivist argument to sell it. And again, you know, you can easily argue that all taxes levied for for wealth redistribution are revenue neutral. In the meantime, he's arguing that he's not redistributing anything either. And taken from the collective and redistributed within the same collective with no net gain, gain to the government other than the power it gets through the power of redistribution. And under revenue neutral taxation, individuals are no longer differentiated and cease to exist as individuals or as individual taxpayers. If Paul gets Peter's money through state wealth redistribu redistribution, well, that's still revenue neutral to the government. Sorry, Peter. No tax neutrality for you, right? You know, I, I call them the Ontario Progressive Con Party now. I mean, they're, 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 it's just a big con. I call them the suck and blow party. Well, <laughs> They want the best okay. of both worlds. They want to be progressive. They want to be conservative, you know, make up your mind. You're more progressive than conservative. But, you know, you, you said it earlier. You said it's very, con it's very conservative. Everything in, in their content is completely political, but they talk strictly about economics and jobs as though they're talking economics. And, and never moral. There's no moral dimension even considered in any of the party's decision-making process. In, in fact, Patrick Brown would get along very easily with Obama because he's just going in for the what works, what as works. we'll hear. Yeah. But, uh, you know, not one scientific fact ever regarding climate change was ever mentioned by Brown, nor do facts even matter to his position taken. Obfuscation and misrepresentation disguised as economic theory is still BS. So on this side of our upcoming bumper is part of an interview conducted by CFPLAM 980's Andrew Lawton with Patrick Brown on March the 17th. And uh, this is the part concerning carbon taxes. See how many contradictions you can spot when you hear this. And on the other side of the bumper, from the same show, some reactions from the public, including yours truly. And I'll continue reacting even after our audio bite is concluded. Do, do you want to simply be a debating society or do you want to actually win elections? Do you want to represent a majority of voters? Because you can take positions that are uh, that are that are ignorant to 90% of the population. And the reality is we teach climate change now in schools. Um, I realize that some want to have a debate on that, but the vast, vast majority of people in Ontario care about the environment. And we cannot take positions that are, that, that, that are inconsistent with that. And frankly, the reason I got involved in politics was I cared about the environment. I got involved because I was impressed with the Acid Rain Treaty. Um, Bill Davis created the Ministry of the Environment. And the notion that we were uncomfortable talking about the environment, I didn't feel good about that. I didn't feel right about that. And, and I can tell you, the vast majority of our party, the vast majority of the people in this province, I feel, deep in my bones, feel that we are on the right track. You're seeing a PC party. You're seeing a conservative approach to issues. And it's not, it's not abandoning the party to say you want to tackle environmental challenges, I think it is actually reconnecting with the past of our party. There are going to be, there's going to be a debate, like it or not. And the, the debate is what approach? Do you, want, do you want the money raised from polluters going to government for more bigger government? That's the liberal approach. Or there's the conservative approach, 
which we've taken with the Ontario PC Party that says every single cent should go into tax relief. Or we could just say nothing and vacate the debate. And frankly, we've done that for a long time. We've vacated the debate on the environment. Ronald Reagan and Brian Rooney and Margaret Thatcher and David Cameron, all successful conservatives, have said, never vacate that debate. Have a position. Be proud of that position. Fight for conservative values. And the notion that every single cent raised from polluters should go back to the people of Ontario is based on that very, very simple Brian Rooney Ronald Reagan principle. This was from your energy critic, John Yakubuski. Mm-hmm. He said uh, a carbon tax will raise the cost of everything. That was February 26th of, zi- of this year. So a week before you unveiled mm-hmm. carbon pricing, your own energy critic was saying that this will drive up costs on everything. I'm not seeing mm-hmm. how you're going to ensure that this will not negatively impact the economy. Well, John Yakubuski was one of the people that drafted uh, our current position, and John uh, said that it, it will cause everything to go up. And that's what he's saying. If you're going to cause, if you're going to cause everything to go up, then it needs to be given back. It can't be a revenue grab. And so John Yakubuski is right for all for the notion that all these all these new fees collected from polluters, it has to be given back. It can't simply be a justification for bigger government. And I'm very lucky that I've got an energy critic like John, who's actually not simply criticizing, but he's coming up with solutions like revenue neutrality. Tom, go ahead. You know, I think it's brilliant because it, it takes uh, takes the wind, like whether you agree with it or not, which I, I don't. But um, it's gonna it's gonna take the winds completely out of the liberal sails on that because what if they're any good if they're good at one thing, it's trying to portray the uh, conservative movement as a bunch of knuckle draggers, and this this kind of nips that right in the bud. Yeah, but is that the emulation? Is that the that whole imitation is the sincerest form of flattery thing? Do we really want to be embracing that? Let's let's just just face fact here. The large majority of the electorate are just plain stupid, Andrew. I mean that's that's a fact. And and if you have to lie and you have to fool the electorate, just like the liberals have been doing, then then so so be it. I mean, promising one thing, is, you know, promising is one thing, delivering is another. So if they have to lie and cheat and say all this ridiculous stuff to get into power, I'm totally fine with it. Yeah, I would prefer we not go the route of endorsing the <laughs> dishonesty. But I I get what you're saying, Tom. Appreciate the call very much, Bob. Go ahead, sir. Oh, hi, Andrew. Hey. Um, that last statement was basically <laughs> tells you all there is to say about modern politics. First of all, carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. So when Patrick Brown keeps going, we, what are we going to do with money raised from polluters? That's you and me. And Kathleen Wynne just put a 4.5 cent per liter uh, carbon tax on our gas. So does that mean Patrick Brown will therefore take that 4.5 cents on the liter of gas and reduce the actual Ontario per liter gas tax so that it works out even? This is what I don't quite understand <laughs> it, about this it, debate, it, is that even if you're you know, putting it towards other things, because he mentioned that a couple times, it, it's, it's not a, a tax if it's revenue neutral, it still has to come out of someone's pocket. There's no such thing as revenue neutral. That's a shell game. Um, you have to cut spending. Um, Yes, you could say that, well, I'm going to take it out of your left pocket instead of your right pocket, but that's not even the issue. The issue is that the story they're creating around here, you know, everybody else is doing it. Uh, take the money and give it back to the people of Ontario. That sounds, it sounds ridiculous. Why take it from them in the first place? You know, the idea is going to give tax relief from a tax. I mean, that's, 
I've got words for that, but I can't really put them on the air. And, and there's nothing new about the PCs supporting carbon tax. Tim Hudak did, too. He said so in the legislature many times, and, uh, except they wanted a broad-based one right across the country. So there's nothing new to this. And what surprises me is the surprise that the PCs haven't been anything near, let alone to the right, let alone the right wing, let alone conservatives, since before the Bill Davis. And to cite Margaret Thatcher as a reason for supporting carbon taxes, she refused them. I interviewed Christopher Moncton for a full hour. Anybody can listen to that interview at JustRightMedia.org. Right, yeah, he's been on this show as well. Yes, and... He, 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 he began by believing in the carbon issue. And then when they investigated it, both he and Margaret Thatcher switched their minds and said, this is, this is crap. So to cite conservatives as a, as a justification for being a conservative while supporting CO2 taxes is, to me, the height of hypocrisy. Appreciate the call very much, Bob. A lot of very unhappy people on the right about this. And this puts me in a very difficult situation. I know, I've known Patrick Brown for years. I have a great deal of respect for him a, as a person. I do. And I think the party, I supported him. I endorsed him for leadership. But I'm also very leery when you have so many conservatives that are saying, whoa, 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 this is not my party. And I'm not suggesting we're headed towards an Ontario reform party here. But I do think that we need to recognize that if you try to get votes on the left, you're also going to lose votes on the right when you expand that so-called big tent. Mike, go ahead. Yeah, you tell that last guy I was kind of liberal-oriented. Uh, I'm a conservative, I'll be confessed to that. But uh, Patrick Brown's right in what he's saying. Like, as far as I'm concerned, this money is a tax grab, and that's it. When needs to have money to fulfill her, her uh, thing about balanced budget in 2018... And it's a good way to get a tax grab of a couple billion a year. Yeah, basically, it's it. a big slush fund under the guise of environmentalism. And the biggest thing with me is Patrick Brown. He, the thing is right. Give it back to the people that paid it. If it's not going, because none of this money is going to go towards improving the environment in any way, shape, or form. And that's where I have a problem. If we're going to collect the money, then put it towards something that's going to clean the air, clean everything. But it's not happening. It's just a tax grab by the government. And if the government doesn't do it, then the feds are going to step in and put one on it. So I think Patrick Brown's idea is the right way. We have to collect it because the feds are going to make us collect it. So let's turn around and give it back to the people that paid it. And that, dear listeners, is why a March 29th forum poll has suggested that even though a majority of Ontario voters do not know who Patrick Brown is, Brown's Progressive Conservative Party would win a slim majority in an election were it held on that day. And while that would once again change the faces in Queen's Park, it would do nothing to change what voters are facing with continued tax increases. Exorbitant electricity prices, a health care system that's patently unsustainable, and certainly nothing will change with regard to climate change. Does anybody think that's going to change at all? Except for the progressive con, which seems to be working so far. So when you hear the phrase, we only get the politicians we deserve... You know, I offer callers Tom and Mike as exhibits A and B. Wasn't that amazing what they said there, Robert? Tom, he says, you know, he thinks that Brown's strategy will completely take the wind out of the liberal sales who who, who have 
portrayed the conservatives as a bunch of knuckle-draggers, he calls them, and he thinks uh, that a large majority of the electorate are just plain stupid, and if you have to lie, so be it, and I'm totally fine with that, he well, says. Well, you know, Bob, mm -hmm. if your goal is to be the party in power, then Patrick Brown is probably doing what works. I, I agree with you. This just may work. I agree with you if you're dealing with that, and it depends on what your goals are. But the problem is, is that what Ontarians want? Do they want more of the same, just with a new face on on, on the horror story? Well, not only that, you know? is that what is right? I mean, but you can't talk about right or wrong with Mr. Brown. It's, do I get into power or don't I? Well, it's interesting because he, he waffles on that. You know, I want to get to these callers first, though, because I think the voters as much as of the problem as, as the people we vote for. You know... Let's call her Tom. If taken seriously, and not as pure sarcasm, but I get the impression he's serious, you know, when he says it's okay with him. Tom's suggestion is reprehensible. It's immoral and it's unconscionable. He's patently, I mean, what he's saying is patently irrational on its own terms, let alone in relationship to reality or to reason. Here's a caller, Tom, who openly admits that he himself disagrees with Brown's wacko notions, which would normally suggest that this guy has some kind of connection to reality, the caller, you know, but would still support those very notions with his vote. Then not realizing how he himself is the prime example of the stupid voters he's pointing his finger at, right, proceeds to cite those who think exactly like him as being the problem, and therefore concludes that lying and misrepresentation and deceit are perfectly okay if that's what it takes to, you know, get elected. To which I can only ask, to what positive end? To what po possible positive end? For Tom, it's more CO2 taxes, which are both the means and ends when it comes to CO2 taxes. How does lying possibly help a politician's reputation? Against what can he possibly be judged? Tom's a voter who takes it for granted that politicians lie, and that's a shame. Whatever else I might say about Ontario's liberal premier, Kathleen Wynne, she doesn't lie when she says she's going to go ahead with wind tur turbine energy and everybody says, well, she's not following through on her promises, when in fact she is, and they don't realize that's what the, why they're mad, because she is doing what she said she's doing. And remember, in politics, it is an axiomatic fact, and you were, you were, you were saying this early in the show, means and ends are always the same. There is no difference. Capitalism is both a means and an end, and that's why we support it. Socialism is a means to some other end that is never, ever reached. And so socialism becomes its own end. And it becomes very clear that the Toms in the voting world have are the desired target of Patrick Brown's new youth conservative movement. Meet the new conservatives, same as the old conservatives. And then, then of course, I came in on the conversation there, and then I was followed by by Mike. And I was a little, little upset with Andrew himself there. I mean, there he is saying that he has in the past supported, I mean, here's a guy who supported Freedom Party too, and a Freedom Party candidate. So how he's shopping for his candidates is probably a lot like his previous caller. It's kind of scary, but now he's disappointed in Brown. Like, what, you didn't know that that was coming? Did you not hear what he was saying for a couple of years before that? It was very clear to us. We already predicted all these things on our show. So, um, you know, Patrick Brown's point was what that when you go for votes on the right, you know, you lose elections, whereas Andrew was arguing, well, when you go for votes on the left, you lose votes on the right. Well, that's not Patrick Brown's objective, right? He wants to win the election. He's not interested in the right. He's not interested in people like Andrew Lawton because he knows that they will either vote faithfully 
and always vote anyway, because they're idiots that way, the, the conservative voters. And then he can draw in new voters. And that's been the strategy of conservatives for a while. Then there's caller Mike, uh, who referred to me as, says, that last guy was kind of liberal-oriented. <laughs> right? <laughs> he don't know you very well, right. do he? And then, he's, then he confesses he's a conservative and agrees with Brown. That, you know, this guy swallowed the Kool-Aid completely. Wynne needs to give a tax, a tax grab or needs a tax grab to balance the budget. Uh, Brown's right. Give it back to the people who paid it. Well, the people who paid it are the polluters. Mike, of course, doesn't really want anyone to give the money back to the people who paid it. He wants to see his taxes lowered, right? Though how he will ever be able to even measure such a thing is incomprehensible. It can't be done under this kind of a system. But he has faith that Patrick Brown's non-policy will be non-successful. Caller Mike, based on my hearing, on hearing my comments that I was clearly against carbon pricing and everything the liberals proposed, nevertheless concluded that I was a, a liberal. You know, I think Mike is a, an example of a traditional conservative. Um, and he said, and he adds, you know, uh, if it's okay to collect the tax, uh, or if it's okay to collect the tax, you have got to clean up the air, you know. So clean up the air. Just the disconnect, complete well, association. This, right? this, this I've heard before when people are talking about climate change, CO two, and then confusing it with actual pollution, cleaning up the air. This is not smog we're talking about. This is not lead from gasoline. No, and, and this is carbon dioxide that you exhale. Right, and it's it's a positive thing. It's, it's necessary for life on Earth. Yes, and and more of it isn't going to hurt us. It's, it's it, if anything, it's going to help. It's not a pollutant. Right, and um, but, you know, I'm thinking politicians like Patrick Brown would no doubt consider you and I to be climate deniers, <laughs> climate <laughs> change deniers. But you know what, Robert? We've got to start using the real words. We have to consider him and the PC party and everybody on their side to be what they really are, freedom deniers. That's what they are. They're denying us our freedoms. And that is the light in which they and all of their carbon copy political rivals should always be seen. And to deny freedom, you have to deny reality and a lot of self-evident facts and definitions. Now, climate change is a fact. But when Patrick Brown says that climate change is a fact, he does not mean that it has been scientifically proven and demonstrated that man-made carbon dioxide is a meaningful factor in actual climate change, whether perceived or otherwise. What he means is that it is a fact that most voters believe this to be the case. And therefore, to win an election, one must appeal to this fact. And, you know, he says, quote, If you take positions that are ignorant to 90% of the population... The reality is we teach climate change now in the schools. So is he saying that we teach ignorance? Because that's exactly what Lawrence Solomon told me on the show that he last appeared on. He says it's abysmal what they're teaching in the schools on climate. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a tragedy. It, you have to listen to that show. But here, here's Patrick Brown saying, well, we know it's crap and it's, uh, you know, it's ignorant. <laughs> and he says, and I realize some want to have a debate on that. But the vast majority of people in Ontario care about the environment, and we cannot take positions that are inconsistent with that. So there he is, a complete social metaphysician. Doesn't care about the climate issue itself, just cares that if people believe in it, then we have to go with it. So if people believed in rounding up the Jews again, is he going to do that? Oh, it sounds like it. Well, it works. That's how it starts. It works. Yeah. Brown shirts. And then there, there, there are these other weird issues, you know, like debate or no debate. What does he want? First he says there's going to be a debate. 
And he says, and he adds that we, the PCs, have vacated the debate on the environment. Then, he, then in, in another sentence, I almost thought it was a contradiction. He says, you know, now this is, he's speaking to his own PC party, not to voters, and yet he's on the radio ta- talking over the radio saying this. He says, do you simply want to be a debating society, or do you actually want to win elections? So on the one hand, he's saying, we don't want to debate, we want to win an election. On the other hand, he says, we have to debate. Because we, total contradiction. Of course, the debate Brown wants is liberal or PC. He doesn't want. He does not want to debate about climate change. You know, people right? do not vote for uh, politicians who elect a government to debate. That's right. Nobody wants a debate. They want action. I just hope that if they ever elect a, a Mr. Mm-hmm. Brown, that he doesn't act. <laughs> well, that's yeah. No, <laughs> I think the whole thing's an act. We're already in the middle of that act. But we should well heed the comments and observations made by Lawrence Solomon on our show where he specifically cited the dismal and propagandist uh, teachings about climate change that is going on in our public-funded schools. Solomon not only refuted the myths, but went so far as to assert the positive environmental impact of carbon dioxide on the planet. He said it's a gas, it's the gas of life. And what is clear is that a 4.5 cent per liter carbon tax will do nothing to either avert climate change or avert the impending bankruptcy of our governments. And then there's this issue of revenue neutrality. Revenue neutrality is not a solution to either the environment or to the tax problem. It's a BS argument. And as such, it's a solution to the PC problem. How to rationalize the party's populist support of CO2 taxes. Well, we'll just say it's revenue neutral. Something that Brown, by the way, regards as the most fundamental and necessary policy to support in order for his party to get elected. He says that's the number one issue. Nothing else matters. And just how is the PC party going to return this money to taxpayers? Quote, every single cent should go to broad-based tax relief, says Brown. And then concludes, in contradiction again, Never mind the broad-based tax relief. How are they going to do it? Well, they're going to set up an, uh, a forontario.ca uh, website, and people can go there and vote for what kind of tax relief they want. And he says, but our notion is that it has to be revenue neutral. Well, you, we, said, it, we, you said it on the, on the Andrew Lott show. Yeah. You said, if they're going to give it back, why take it in the first exactly. place? And he says, you know, we agree we have to protect our environment and that polluters must pay. It should go back to the people. I don't know. This is just so much crap. I'm, I'm having a hard time even dealing with it. Uh, it's difficult. It's easier to argue with someone who's saying something semi-sensible than to even address somebody who's so off the wall and so outrageous and so cartoony that you don't even know where to start. And that's how I've been feeling about this. I can't possibly touch upon all the things that, that, that are you know, said here. And uh, you know, while he and his other leftist politicians refer to carbon dioxide as a pollutant, it is the gas of life. And so that's all I can say. Anything else to add on that? We've got to wrap up here, Robert. No, but I think that Ontarians do have an option when it comes to an election. And if you're not conservative, it doesn't mean that you're liberal. It means that you enjoy freedom. And I would suggest that people in Ontario at least have the choice of voting for a Freedom Party. I agree. Yeah. Anyways, you've been listening to Just Right on WBCQ, where we deal with time limits, not with term limits. And here comes one now. So be sure to join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right. And be right back here. We'll see you. Fade into color, color into black and white. 